Ladies and gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen, it is Tuesday, July 30th. You are listening to the Cheats Movement on WRIR. We have a very, very special episode for you this afternoon, man. We're so excited about it. As always, Gigi Broadway's in the building. Gigi, how you feeling? I'm here. I feel good. Almost what? It's only two days left of the Mercury retrograde, and I have whipped its butt, knock on wood. I've had a good retrograde. I'm sorry for you guys who haven't, who've been going through like these weird little things. It's almost over. I have no idea what that means and what it means for human beings. It's so, okay. My real astrologists know. But what does it mean? What, is, what does retrograde mean for real human beings? Is like weird things supposed to happen? Well, yeah. So during the Mercury retrograde is like when everything like goes awry, like weird <laughs> things, bad things happen, like attitudes are nasty it's just it's just a mess during the retrograde you have to be careful okay but does does this explain donald trump it may explain like anything weird going on during the retrograde you have to blame it it may explain donald trump sending tweets out on behalf of asap rocky we'll get into that before we do ladies and gentlemen we do have a very special episode for you today we're so excited about it his excellency governor terry mcculloch will be joining the program he's going to be talking about his new book that was released today it's called beyond charlottesville um it is a book that he wrote and you know in the aftermath of of august 12th in charlottesville the aftermath of president trump's actions and when he was quoted as saying you know there are good people on both sides uh which is just you know you know one of the things one of the many things that this legacy will be laid on but Governor Terry McAuliffe was very, very gracious, gave us a lot of time. He really went through his process of making the book and what he wanted to relay. So stick around for that interview. We have a very, very special interview as well with, he calls himself, this is great, cultural educator, John Gotti. He is also the founder of a very, very popular blog. Um, The Smoking Section is an extremely popular blog back when blogs were really, really the best and only form of kind of hip-hop culture expression. Like, the you know, there was the whole blog mafia days that weren't that long ago. I mean, they were really uh, early 2000s, if you will, um, and they were really the kind of quintessential journalistic standpoint for all things hip-hop. The smoking section was right in the mix of that, and John Gotti has joined us to talk about something a little bit different, Gigi. We are talking about sneakers. Uh-oh. We were talking about Zion Williams. He just announced last week a, a deal that's it's undisclosed, but the reports are it's seven years, $75 million to sign with Jordan Brand. So we talk all things sneakers with John Gotti. Wow. We've got Governor McAuliffe on the, on the Cheats Movement. We're so excited about this episode. Gigi Broadway is here. I'm here. We're excited about that. We just had so much going on, and we will be right back after we start our show right now. Ladies and gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen, it is Tuesday, July 30th. You are listening to the Cheats Movement on WRIR. Gigi Broadway is in the building. Gigi, how you feeling? Feeling good, man. Man, we've got a great show, and I'm really, really excited about the interviews that we have coming up. It is the quintessential, it's a quintessential Cheats Movement episode, Gigi, where we talk (laughs) news, politics, 
current events with Governor Terry McAuliffe, and we also talk sneakers with uh, cultural edu- educator John Gotti. Uh, I don't know any other show that would have this combination of guests. I like it. But it works for us. It works. It works for us. So much going on in the world, Gigi Broadway, and I wanted to ask you a couple of things before we get into all the interviews. One of the feedback uh, points, one of the data points we always get on this show is that they want to hear more from us in our our blockbuster, groundbreaking (laughs) segment, We See It or We Don't See It. It is a a segment that is often uh, talked about, but we never really do as much as we should. So we're going to give our listeners some love on our current We See It segment are you ready gg broadway i'm ready so ladies and gentlemen gg broadway asap rocky is still in jail 30 year old hip-hop artist harlem new york asap mob he has been in jail now for several weeks he was arrested in sweden after video emerged that he was being followed <laughs> and harassed by swedish i guess patrons he was they were warned hey look if you don't back off, something bad is going to happen. Mm-hmm. Clearly, something bad happened, uh, and there was a fight. He was arrested for assault. He's officially charged with assault. I believe he goes to court today, but that's not what I'm going to ask you if you see or not. Mm-hmm. What I'm asking you if you see is since then, the president of the United States, Donald Trump, has tweeted several times and has actually made comments to Sweden about the release of ASAP Rocky. And President Trump has been quoted as saying in his tweets that this is very bad for the African Americans in America. (laughs) Do you see, do you not see Donald Trump in defense of ASAP Rocky? I'm going to be honest with you. (laughs) I muted Trump and all of his social media foolishness several months ago. So I don't his his tweets don't even come across my timeline anymore because I never know what to expect. And I'm, I've just been too tired, too busy lately. So I haven't seen it. But I, but now I'm kind of curious. You're curious about what the what the tweet is. Well, why is he in it? First of all, like, okay. why did he feel necessary that it was necessary to just stick his nose in this? I'm, I'm, I'm curious. So he's for ASAP Rocky being released. So the the tweet and I quote, very disappointed in Prime Minister Stefan Lofen for being unable to act. Sweden has left our African-American community down. Sweden has let our African, African-American community down in the United States. Wow. I watched the tapes of ASAP Rocky and he was being followed and harassed by troublemakers. Treat Americans fairly. Hashtag free Rocky. Oh, that wow. is coming from the president of the United States. Then he followed that tweet with another tweet. So this is tweet number two. Give ASAP Rocky his freedom. <laughs> freedom all in caps. So, we, <laughs> so the president of the United States is yelling right now. <laughs> we do so much for Sweden, but it doesn't seem to work the other way around. Wow. Sweden should focus on its real crime problem. Exclamation <laughs> point. Hashtag free Rocky. Now, wow. this is my question. And we go through this and we see this and... To me, this is a play in many ways into kind of the playbook of the president and what we've seen over and over again, mm-hmm. because there are really, really big things happening, like a crisis at the border with families being separate, children being separated from families, 
those camps are obviously not kept up to standards that are that are humane, right? Mm-hmm. There's also last week uh, <laughs> Robert Mueller testifying in front of Congress about things and whether the president should be impeached or not. However, this is why I think it plays into the president's playbook because mm-hmm. in two ways. The first way is let's find some level of distraction and let's talk about that distraction, right? And I'm not saying I'm not I'm not saying that to be light on the plight of ASAP Rocky. Of course, that is a horrible horrible situation for someone to be you know locked in overseas while while the while the courts are going through this thing. However, it seems like the MO is let's find a distraction, let's latch on to this distraction, let's tweet about this distraction. And it's one that's one thing about the playbook and like not, not let's not look over here. Yeah. Let's not look at some of the other things that are happening. The other thing that I think he's doing, and you can tell me if you think this is accurate, but I think he's making a calculated misjudgment. And when it comes to African American people and the African American community in America. And that misjudgment is you latch on to one story, mm-hmm. like ASAP Rocky, and then say that this is bad for all African Americans in America. Like the majority, I would argue that the majority of African Americans aren't able to take vacations in Sweden and they don't connect to Rocky in the way that he thinks by helping this one individual is going to translate to him getting props from all of the African Americans. Right. And I just think that's the playbook because my my thought is if you really cared about the African American community, he would change some of the policies that affect a big audience as opposed to what he does is these one-offs, right? Yep. Kanye and Kim come, let's get this one person out of jail. They're not changing the law to get a whole bunch of people out of jail, but they're getting the one person out of jail. Let's help Rocky. That's one person that happens to be rich that obviously we've talked about in previous episodes about the comments he made about uh, Ferguson and some other things that may not connect to a that don't connect to a large a part of the African American community. So I just think it's in the president's playbook and I think he might be making a miscalculation in regards to how much the average African American cares about this as opposed to the policies he's putting in place. I think you're spot on. I think you hit the nail on the head. You know, all this pandering to, you know, he he picks and chooses what he wants to highlight to kind of schmooze the African-American community over. Like, look, I'm standing behind you guys because I support, you know. But like you said, I don't think he took into consideration the climate of the whole situation with the comments that, you know, ASAP made in the past. We ain't rocking with, you know, we, we're not rocking with that. So, yeah, I mean, that that is my read of it. And again, meanwhile, while this is happening, right? So he's in one kind of, you know, in one way, he's tweeting free Rocky. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, yesterday or the day before yesterday, he's picking fights with Al Sharpton. Yeah. He's picking fights with Elijah Cummings. So mm-hmm. he's still in and, and, and the language he's using to pick on, you know, Reverend Sharpton or Elijah Cummings is still coded in some of the most racist type of language oh, of that course. you can use so it's like you're doing this on one end you have these shiny objects on the other end and i just don't know how well that plays out in long form right yeah. so and even if even if he gets out is rocky in a position to say because he's still been in jail now these tweets came out you know at least a, a couple days ago weeks ago and his intervention to date hasn't helped rocky so does rocky 
when when ultimately he gets out, is he is he going to be like thanks Donald Trump? I hope not. We'll see. That's you a know? whole other level of even like I said, his relationship with the community. I'm talking about Rocky's now. Yeah, Rocky's community with uh, relationship with the community was shaky after Ferguson, and now yeah. if he comes out and he's doing something like Kanye is doing. I don't think he would do that, you know, but Trump definitely picked the low hanging fruit to try to get in and, you know, try to advocate or or be like a a cheerleader for the for the African-American community. It's not working. It's not working. Moving along, moving along. I got a couple quick hits. Are you ready for the quick hits, Gigi Brother? Yeah, bring them on. The quick hits would be... um, it has been announced recently that Eddie Murphy is returning to stand-up. It is reported that he has got a Netflix deal, possibly worth $70 million. Do you see or do you not see Eddie Murphy's return to stand-up? I definitely see that. I am excited. And I'm not even a real like comedy stand-up person, even though I do watch them. But I'm very, very critical about my stand-ups. Really? I am ex- Yes. Who's your favorite stand-up? Oh, gosh. I, I'm sorry, Cat Williams. Okay, is probably one of my in the sense of outside of him being crazy outside of. See, like, there you go. He, there he you is, go. He is nuts outside of the stand-up. but the stand-up is actually always pretty much delivered. I think he's great. Tim Chronicles one has to be one of the has to go down in the litany of greatest stand-ups. One of the greatest stand-ups of all time. Yeah, there's got to be just like a list of greatest standards of all time and pimp chronicles one by cat williams has to be in there yeah it has to yeah I'm a, i love chris rock stand up too chris rock is yes when he's of, on he's on yeah no i mean again that litany of stand-up comedians and the greatest ever uh what's the what's the first like chris rock comeback oh gosh it's gotta be i want to say bring the pain but the chris mm. rock the chris rock first like the first comeback that really set it off for chris rock i want to say it's bring the pain yeah but i mean it's it's in the it's in that list right yeah it's in that list of greatest stand-ups of all time Mm -hmm. uh is there anyone so you see eddie murphy obviously eddie murphy raw eddie murphy raw eddie murphy delirious they're both richard pryor you know they're all uh, in that path you know but but now it's 70 million dollars for once dave chappelle I don't want to. I don't want to leave out. Oh yeah, show. I mean Dave Chappelle. That's a given, uh, you know. But but one Netflix special, seventy million dollars. One special. You feel it? Seventy million. Get that's, your money, Eddie what, man. That's what it's reported to. Get your money, man. Well deserved. Well deserved. I definitely see it. Eddie Murphy is one of the uh, greatest stand-up comedians. For someone that's been that hasn't done stand-up in nearly, I think it has to be like twenty years. Yeah. Uh, and to still be, if you ask anyone. Who's you know top five greatest state of comedians living? He he's in there. He's you in cannot it. not, and he hasn't done it in so long. His comeback, I think. And the thing is, a lot of people, it's still like a challenge to be funny. Yeah. Anybody that you talk to, they're like Eddie Murphy's hilarious. There's like there's no challenge to be funny. He's just a funny guy. Exactly. And so I do think that'll be interesting. You know who I will shift gears just slightly. You know who is like because Netflix now has. The company monopoly on stand-up. Yeah. Like, they just... Anybody that's worth anything gets a stand-up special on Netflix. You know who... There's two that are really, really good. Two individuals Mm -hmm. that are really, really good that if it wasn't for Netflix, I probably wouldn't know. But I love them now. And they're both... You know, they're blown up since then. Ali Wong. Have you ever heard of Ali Wong? No. Ali Wong has two amazing stand-up specials 
on uh, Netflix. They're both. I think she did them. She does them both while she's pregnant. It's amazing. Really? Ali Wong is really good, and Hassan Minaj. Hassan Minaj came from Comedy Central, and he has a Netflix series now on Netflix called The Patriot Act. But both oh, Ali. Wow. But if you're not familiar, check out. Uh, Ali Wong and Hassan Minaj are both amazing. Okay, check them out. GG Broadway, this will be the last one for the speed round since uh, we're short, a little bit short on time. Can you tell me right now, with off the top of your head, what you think is the best show on television? Mm. The best show on television, like uh, right now, like the right what what's current, what we're watching right now, like Stranger Things, people like a lot. You just finished after. Now that you're done Game of Thrones, what is the new Gigi Broadway best show? Okay, now I haven't seen this, but like a hundred people have told me to watch this. Euphoria is supposed to be the best show, but to me, Blacklist. The Blacklist is still like top of the list. The Blacklist. Oh, NBC with James Spader. Okay, okay. I was like, what is the Blacklist? Oh my gosh. Gigi Broadway. This is a setup question, and I'll tell you why. Because I just wanted to tell. Our listeners, I am in the middle. I've been following week to week on Showtime's The Loudest Voice. It is the kind of docuseries that follows the life or part of the life of Roger Ailes. Russell Crowe plays Roger Ailes. And it just tells you kind of step by step how Fox News comes into existence and how Fox News actually, you know, does their part and how they play a role in just kind of manipulation of the entire society. It is genius. I love to hear you talk like this. You admit that there's manipulation in the society. Well, here's the thing. Here's the thing oh. about news. No, no, here's the thing about news. And I learned this the hard way um, as I've got become an adult. All news outlets are run by people. Mm-hmm. And if you're run by people, there's a person at the top that dictates kind of what the news is. Yep. And so, therefore, there will be bias in the news. I've been going back. My, you know, my son Cam is four years old, and we've been going back and we watch a lot of wrestling. Cam loves wrestling, and we watch mm-hmm. WWE. Well, there was a time where wrestlers, like the wrestling promotions, really wanted you to believe that it was real. Yeah, they really wanted you to believe that all the wrestlers hated each other and so forth, and it was like this big act. And I feel, in many ways, that's how like the news organizations for a very long time wanted us to feel like. Like, the news was just the news. It wasn't run by people. They didn't have any type of spins either way. Right. And now, if you watch wrestling, we all kind of know it's fake. You, We know that it's choreographed, and we know, like, there's still storylines, but we know it's a big soap opera. Yeah. Now, when we look at the news, we know if we're watching Fox, we're going to get one thing. If we're watching MSNBC, we're going to get the counterpoint to that. If we're watching uh, NPR, they're going to try to play, you know, they're going to try to play the middle. And that's where I think a society is. But they, but they know the game now. See, that's an interesting perspective that you brought that. I never thought about it like that. I was thinking that that whole time of us thinking that the news avenue was legit is kind of over because of the impact of the Internet. And, you know, a lot of people are able to now do their own research. Sure. And, you know, so I think all of that plays into it. But I think now there it's just, you know, if you turn on MSNBC and there's a story about uh, you know, President Obama then or President Trump now, you know what side it's going to look like. And you know, if you turn on Fox News, you might see the same story, but it's going to be Spin. interpreted completely different yeah. based off of who their preference is. And, you know, like I said, when you watch the loudest voice on Showtime, you realize, you understand that they make no bones about it. Like, this is what we're going to do. 
this is how we're going to be number one. We're the only guys in town that are going to do this. All right, Cheese, you sold me. I'm, I'm hooked. <laughs> I'm hooked. I gotta Ladies see. and gentlemen, that is it for now on We See It and We Don't. Please, please, please send your questions to us. You can email the show at thecheatsmovement at gmail.com. You can follow Gigi Broadway or myself on Instagram or Twitter and ask us questions directly. We really, really, really want to uh, be responsive to you. So we're very excited about that. Before we quick take a quick break, I've got to shout out my good friend, Michael Millions, who last week opened a sold-out show for the legend Nas in Richmond. So Nas came to the National, sold the place out, performed a great show, and he asked a Richmond hip-hop artist, Michael Millions, to be on that bill. It was a legendary night, so shout-out to them. So Ladies dope. and gentlemen, we will be back with Governor Terry McCullough right after this. Ladies and gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen, you are listening to the Cheats Movement on WRIR. It is Tuesday, July 30th, and joining me on the line, we have a very special guest, His Excellency, the Honorable Governor Terry McAuliffe. Governor, how you feeling? Cheats, never better. How are you, buddy? I'm doing really, really, really well. It is an honor to talk to you, and it's actually really important to talk to you today. Today is the official launch date of your book, Beyond Charlottesville, Taking a Stand Against White Nationalism. I will start with the obvious, Governor. When did this book for you start taking place, and why were you so moved to write this book? Well, listen, it was one of uh, really a horrific time in our country. The idea cheats that 1,000 white supremacists, white nationalists, neo-Nazis, came into our beautiful state, into our beautiful city of Charlottesville, spewing the most vile things that I couldn't even repeat on your show, Chiefs, uh, about African Americans, about members of the Jewish faith. So while I was governor, obviously I was busy being governor, but once I finished the governorship, people came up to me and talked to me every day about Charlottesville. They were shocked, wanted to know how it happened, what happened, from all over the country no matter where I went. So I decided, Cheeks, it was important to memorialize what actually happened. I talk about the history of Virginia, the issues of racism that we've had in Virginia, uh, how we deal with our history, how we got to this point, that people actually think they can walk down a city street and say the things that they said. I mean, they used to wear hoods in our country, Cheeks, to say these things. Now they don't think they need to wear hoods. They don't think they need to do it at night but in broad daylight. So I thought it was important that we talk about it, and as bad as Charlottesville was, the one upside was that it really ripped the scab off the issue of racism. I think too many people, too many white people, had felt that we had dealt with racism, and it wasn't an issue anymore. And it's perfectly clear that it is still permeating in our society. It needs to continually be addressed. And then I end the book, talk about what steps we as a city as a state and as a country what we need to do going forward to eradicate racism in our country and that's about inequality in school uh, criminal justice system uh, that is racist in the country unfair housing unfair uh, health care delivery so I think people will find the book fascinating it goes through the whole history how we got to where we are today the lead-up the preparations, what went on on Friday night at University of Virginia, what went on on Saturday, and then, of course, uh, what happened after that and the effects of Charlottesville and how it's so 
so rooted uh, people in America about how this could possibly happen. And I opened the book talking about my relationship with President Trump, who I talked to that day and told the president what had happened, what people were saying. We needed to come out with a strong stance against neo-Nazis and white supremacists. When I hung up the phone that day, I was absolutely convinced the president would do the right thing. But Cheats, as you know, he came out that day and said there were good people on both sides. Mm. There were not good people and the neo-Nazis in their swastikas in the white supremacists. And then I had to come out and do my press conference, and I told him, no, these neo-Nazis and white supremacists aren't wanted to go home. They pretend they're a bunch of patriots, they're a bunch of cowards. So the book I think people will find fascinating, but it's important, Cheats, that we memorialize what happened, how it happened, and where we go from here. You mentioned it, Governor, and let's let's talk a little bit about the lead-up to August 12th. And, and, and as Governor of Virginia, you've got a million things that's on your radar every day, and it's obviously yep. a, vast, a vast state. Uh, what... What did you know leading into the events? What were you kind of made aware of? And was it was it a situation where you were kind of told about it or briefed about it, but you kind of understood that Charlottesville had it taken care of? What, leading up to it, what was kind of the climate in the governor's office in regards to this was coming? So I was worried from day one. I was worried when, you know, some of the elected officials and, right after Trump got elected, that said that Charlottesville will now be the resistance to Trump in America. I can tell you, as governor, I didn't like that. We're the center of innovation, technology, jobs. And then immediately they came out to vote to take the statue down. And I knew immediately as that happened that this could cause us some problems. And sure enough, these groups filed a permit to do on August 12th to have their rally. So we immediately, I stood up my fusion center, which is all of our law enforcement agencies. Uh, We coordinated with Homeland Security and the Federal Bureau of Investigation. So we monitored. We had a pretty good idea. Uh, We had the state police do very good undercover work. What we knew was that these white supremacists and neo-Nazis were told to come to Charlottesville, to come with weapons, and to hurt people. So we knew well in advance. And so we got to work at the state level. Um, We got the state police. Uh, I called a state of emergency for the first time in decades. Uh, I mobilized the National Guard for a domestic situation. We did the preparations. We worked with the city of Charlottesville. And I talk about the book, and this is not to point fingers, but I talk about in the book when the permit was applied for, Unfortunately, the city of Charlottesville put no restrictions on the permit. It should not have been held in Emancipation Park. Emancipation Park is too small. It should have been moved to McIntyre. The key cheats to really controlling a protest of this size is to keep the two sides separated. In Emancipation Park, no possibility of doing that. They should have banned sticks and poles and masks and so forth. Those should have been in the permit. But, you know, so we knew ahead of time, but... As I say, I mobilized the guard. We had the guard. We had the state police there uh, in preparation. The city of Charlottesville, of course, uh, is in control. Even though I had many more law enforcement and guard personnel, we, in essence, you work for Unified Command. You work for the city of Charlottesville. Mm -hmm. And the day of the event, um, I had seen enough. As governor, it was not uh, my role to call a state of emergency. It was really up to the city to do it. 
But I was going to wait no further, and I finally declared the state of emergency ahead of protocol. It was the right thing to do. And at about 11.22, I declared the state of emergency. I told uh, my Secretary of Public Safety, Brian Moran, send in the guard, send in the state police. I want the park cleared. And they got on the mic, on the bullhorns. They told people to disperse. This was even before it was supposed to start, Cheats. It was supposed to go from noon until 5. And it took them about 11, 12 minutes to clear the park and secured the park with the National Guard. Everybody's dispersed. At that point, thought it was a big success. There had been skirmishes, fistfights, but no property damage and no lethal injuries at all. Because I was always, Cheats, very concerned that if guns started going off, it would be a melee and we would have dozens of body bags. That did not happen. So at about noon, felt very good. I've been getting the reports that the park had been cleared. No damage, as I say. And then soon thereafter, uh, I was informed that a maniac by the name of James Fields weaponized his car and rolled through downtown Charlottesville, injuring dozens of people and killing 32-year-old Heather Heyer. And soon after that, I learned that the state police helicopter, which is the helicopter that I use as governor all the time with my pilot, um, Jay Cullen, and another pilot who'd been on my security detail, the EPU, had gone down in a uh, helicopter crash. So three people in a matter of two hours, uh, unfortunately, were killed to this horrific event that we had in Charlottesville. One of the, and I think it's a misconception, Governor, correct me if I'm wrong, but one of, the, I feel like one of the biggest misconceptions about the entire event of Charlottesville is that this was all about statues, or if it was all about uh, Confederate monuments. Now, I do believe that the action of removing the Confederate monument from Emancipation Park kind of was a catalyst to, to bring white nationalism into one yep. place, but I, I mean... Um, Vice Mayor West Belladine wrote a book, it's not about statues, not about monuments, and I tend to agree with that. When you kind of take a step back and in the process of make, making this book, is that something that you agree with, that it's actually not about the actual monument and it was much more a bigger bigger issue? Or do you think that, you know, it really does have a lot to do with the monument? No, I agree with the cheats, and I make this point in the book, that they use the um, issue of the statue really to go get the permit. But these people who came, I say, you know, these racist fools who came into our state from 35 states, they didn't even know who the hell Robert E. Lee was. This was about an opportunity to come, felt that the President of the United States, Donald Trump, had unleashed this. In fact, they said that, that what the horrible racist things that the President was spewing, this was an opportunity to come together as really racist to spew their anger, to spew their hate. It wasn't about the statue at all. This was to come to talk about white nationalism and to spew their Nazi chants and their white supremacist chants and what they did. And so I agree. This was, and, and I remind we're a nation of 330 million and we can't let a thousand people define our country. Absolutely. But That's actually very important. Very important point. However, I don't blame President Trump for specific acts, but I do blame the president that he has created a culture through his divisiveness and his racist rants that people feel that it is now okay to spew their hatred toward a fellow American. He does it himself. I mean, look what's happened in the last couple of weeks. Absolutely. Where he's gone after the members of Congress, where his crowds are chanting, 
sent her home, the president has created an atmosphere that it's okay to spew your hatred. But the point I go back to, Cheats, is that racism has never gone away. You know, we have these reconciliation commissions, which to me are a total waste of time. A bunch of white people sitting around making themselves feel good. We have inequities in school. We have inequities in housing and the criminal justice system. And until we address those issues, racism is going to continue and be prevalent in our country. And that's the big part of the ending of my book is what we need to do going forward. And you mentioned, and I don't want to harp on this too much because I think you've articulated it perfectly. Uh, You mentioned your you know, continual and, and, and the majority, I believe, of America's continual disappointment in the way that President Trump uses, kind of baits these types of incidents. I yep. actually consider him, Governor, pretty much a lost cause. However, my question would be, and you probably cover this like you were saying towards the end of your book, is there anything we can do to convince people that actually are, are buying into it, his supporters, if you will, that there is a better way of approaching race than divide and, and, and try to conquer? Great question. And I do address this. And I do believe that people want to go to their better self. And I talk in the book, well, how did we get here? Well, cheats, it starts, you're not born this way. You're not born with hatred and racism. So it starts at home. And it really starts in our education system. And I talk in the book how we've got to do a better job Early in school, I'm talking K through 6, early on, discussing the issues of racism and discussing inequality that exists in our country. Early on, understanding how we have to live with one another, we have to love one another, and that we cannot allow uh, this hatred to boil. And I talk about what we need to do in the education system, but I think it's up to our elected officials who've got to show a better way. Listen, when I was governor, Cheats, as you know, I leaned in on these issues every day. Try, you know, I put a record amount into K-12 education, worked hard on the Petersburg school districts, Richmond and Norfolk, to make sure that we had quality teachers. We can't have inferior school buildings, um, because if we don't deal with these issues, we're going to have this inequality going on forever. We need to do a better job on affordable housing, and that's incumbent. You know, as you know, I restored more felon rights than any governor in the history of America. And when I did it, this was to eradicate, in 1902, a state senator by the name of Glass put in our Constitution a poll tax on a literacy test and a disenfranchisement of felons. And he said that day, quote, cheats, I'm doing this to eliminate the darky from being a political factor in Virginia. Well, I got to stand in that Capitol 114 years later. And with the swipe of my pen, I was able to give these people a second chance. And remind you that 41 states in America, this is automatic. There's no governor involved. Right. This is Jim Crow, and it's remnant in the southern states. So my point is that elected officials got to quit talking and start doing something. The voice and you- be judged by their actions, not but what they say. The voice you are hearing is the Honorable Governor Terry McCullough, former governor of Virginia. Governor, I've got two quick ones for you. I really am appreciative of your time. And I want to, on the two quick ones, one, and I don't know look, I don't know how quick the answers will be, but the uh, okay. one is your book is forwarded by civil rights hero John Lewis. Have you had conversations with Congressman Lewis about how to approach this topic of race and, and, and 
all of this that kind of went into the book? Yeah, so I spent a lot of time with John, and how John and I came together on the book is when I gave my speech Saturday night, the speech that the President of the United States should have done. They're looking for moral leadership in a time of crisis, and the President failed. I gave my speech Saturday night. Monday morning, I'm back in the governor's office, and John Lewis called me up and said, Governor, I want to thank you for your speech. He said, your speech brought tears to my eyes. And I thought to myself, I said, well, Congressman, coming from you, after what you know, John Lewis experienced, the hatred, the beatings, the things that he went through, to me was very powerful. So we continued our dialogue of what we needed to do. And I spent time with him. I went up to his office, spent a lot of time with him, talking about where we are. And he talks in the book. He, you know, he wrote the foreword for me, how we go forward. So you know, I hope people uh, buy the book. I think it's important for everybody to read the book. Uh, the book, you know, anything, all the proceeds I'm donating uh, to the Heather Heyer Foundation as well as the State Police Foundation. Uh, this is an important book. And we've talked to the head of the school district in Richmond. They're putting an effort together to try and get the book in the hands of everybody in the Richmond uh, public schools so that we begin this very important education process, understanding process as we go forward. But Cheats, we can't keep the system the way it is today. If we have inferior schools and these children go to schools and they don't have the same equipment, they don't have the same quality teachers, you are already stigmatizing our children, and you're already putting them at a disadvantage to the rest of society. That is just plain unfair. So for me, education starts, it's up to our elected officials, not to, to talk, but to walk and do things that actually can move this commonwealth forward and our country forward. And you know that's why I think people will find fascinating reading the book. I couldn't agree more, and I would be remiss if I did not mention just so I need I, I have to switch gears for one second. I'd be remiss if I don't say, in a sense, when you talk about elected officials, clearly we in Virginia are having our experiencing our own challenges. We've experienced them since February. Um, and so when we look at something like the governor and the attorney general and those situations have admitted to having worn some form of blackface, how does Virginia move forward? And are there principles in this book that not necessarily that go beyond Charlottesville, not just the title, but beyond Charlottesville in seeing how Virginia as a community and as a state could move forward from incidents like this? Very, very important. And listen, uh, the governor, lieutenant governor will both say they made a mistake 30, 40 years ago, but we got to deal with the present today mm -hmm. and the issues that we really have today. Mm -hmm. There's the issue of the monuments. I remind you, Cheats, when I was governor, I used executive authority to remove the Confederate flag from every license plate in Virginia. Mm -hmm. Those symbols are symbols of racism, reminders of slavery in our country. They are offensive to the African-American community. So one thing we need to do in Virginia as a start is, you know, under state law, localities can't take statues down if they determine they want to do it. Right, that's the challenge. We need to change that and allow local jurisdictions, if they want to take a statue down and put it in a cemetery or a museum, that should be the right of the local communities. So, for one, we have to get, you know, we have, as you'll read in my book, Cheats, which people will find fascinating. You know, we've got a couple 
memorials to the Revolutionary War, which started and ended in Virginia, from Patrick Henry's speech to the defeat of Cornwallis at Yorktown, World War One, war to end all wars, World War Two. You know, we have less than like a dozen statues combined for all of those historic uh, wars in our country. Do you know how many Confederate monuments we have? Three hundred and fifty. I can I can only imagine. Three fifty-eight. And many of them, as you know, Chiefs, were erected during massive resistance. So, my point is, let's deal. You know, listen, I, I worked hard as your governor to, you know, record amount of jobs and economic investment, and I traveled the globe. I stopped all of the horrible, you know, I had the most vetoes of any governor in the history of the state. They're anti-women, anti-rainbow coalition, all the different. We need a state that is open and welcoming to everyone no matter the color of one's skin or whom they love or what religion they follow. And that's what we should strive to do. And that's why we were able to get, you know, Amazon and Google and Facebook and Microsoft. I worked very hard. We got um, companies to move here. CoStar moved to Richmond, a deal I negotiated. They were going to North Carolina, but due to the HB2 anti-gay legislation, we were able to get them over 1,000 jobs to come to Richmond, Virginia. So I think as we go forward, I want to hear our elected officials. I mean, Sheets, no one ever wondered where I stood on these issues, <laughs> whether well, that, you liked it or is, not. That is very clear. That is very clear. <laughs> you, I mean, I leaned in when I was chairman of the Democratic Party in 2001. I started the Voting Rights Institute because too many African Americans are disenfranchised at the polling booth. And so this has been a long battle for me. But more importantly, it isn't talking about it. It reflected in my budgets that I put forth on, on schools and what I was able to do on criminal justice reform and juvenile justice reform. Actions matter. And my message to every elected official is quit talking. I don't want to hear about reconciliation commissions or wasted time. Show me what you are going to do. And that's what we have to everyone listening to this, Chiefs, every person in Richmond, in Virginia, and around the country has to hold our elected officials accountable. And if they're not producing results, there's consequences to that. And, you know, I remind you, we've had a horrible history in Virginia. We've moved so far ahead. But, you know, we're only starting cheats. we got a long way to go. Governor, we're going to have to leave it there. The book is called Beyond Charlottesville, Taking a Stand Against White Nationalism. It is actually on stands today, Tuesday, yep. July 30th. We really, really appreciate your time, Governor. Thank you so Thank much. Thank you, sir. Thanks to all your listeners. Excellent. All right, and bye-bye. this is the Cheats Movement on WRIR. We'll be right back right after this. Ladies and gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen, you are listening to the Cheats Movement on WRIR. It is Tuesday, July 30th. I've got a very special guest. We're going to switch gears a little bit. And I've got cultural educator John Gotti on the line. My man, John, how are you doing, Gotti? Very blessed. Wonderfully well and blessed and glad to be here today, my brother. Excellent. Now, here's the thing. I know about sneakers. I know about sneaker culture. I do not know nearly as much. And I'm telling the audience right now, I don't know nearly (laughs) as much as you know about sneakers and sneaker culture. So we're going to switch gears and get into a little bit of the news that has been made last week. There was really, really big news in sneaker culture world. Zion Williamson, the number one draft pick for the New Orleans Pelicans, 
signed a sneaker deal with Jordan Brand. I want to ask you one, I guess, let me lead with this because I've heard it and I want to get your take on it. Is Zion the biggest sneaker prospect since LeBron James? Oh, I would have to say yes, just because of how big his name is. I mean, when the kid was in high school, you know, he was already lighting up YouTube and like people watching his highlights and sharing them. He was already like a one name property before he even graduated high school. So when you think about his trajectory, then I would say, yeah, he's probably on the same trajectory as LeBron, just because of how many people are aware of him. And then when you watch him play, it's like this kid is dominating the game in ways that we haven't seen in ages. You know, maybe since LeBron came on the scene and kind of changed the game. Mm -hmm. So I would definitely say he's one of those people who could be like the next, because LeBron is aging out of the league. Then it was almost like when Kobe came in and kind of succeeded for Jordan. And then, you know, other people came behind Kobe. LeBron came behind Kobe, say. Now it's like somebody else has to take up the face of the league, and he could definitely be one of those people. I agree with you 100%. And I think the idea of him signing, the news that we got was that he signed with Jordan Brand. And everybody thinks of Jordan and Jordan, but they also think of Nike when they think of Jordan. I just want, for someone that's in the culture, break down for me, what is the difference between, uh, say, Zion signing with Jordan brand as opposed to him signing with Nike? And is Nike still pulling the is pulling the strings? Uh, I can tell you what I know. There may be a limited amount of knowledge because I've never worked for either company. You know, I've done things with both, but I... You know, I can't say that this is how they're structured, but from what I know, when you deal with or when you sign with Jordan, you are a Jordan athlete. And like Nike and Jordan, they share some resources, but they operate totally independent from one another. Okay. So it's not like Nike's going to have a huge amount of say on what goes on with Jordan brand or what goes on with Zion or like his shoes and the marketing and everything like that. They'll have some say. But, you know, Jordan is pretty much his own self-functioning entity of, of its own. So, I mean, I think that's like the biggest difference that people have to recognize. Like people say, oh, he still signed to Nike. Yes, technically he is, but not really. So let me ask you this from a sneakerhead perspective. Would you, would you have rather seen him sign with, with a brand like Nike or Jordan? Is this a good move, do you think, for him? I mean, I haven't heard his full reasoning. Everybody read the press release where he said he'd always wanted to change the game like Jordan. He looked up to Jordan and wanted to change the game like Jordan or impact the game like Jordan, which mm -hmm. sounds good. I think it's something that we'll see play out long term to find out what his actual plan was. If it was me and I resigned, I don't even know if I would have signed with Nike or Jordan. No, I, I mean, I probably... A friend actually put this thought in my head, and once he said it, I was like, yo, that makes perfect sense. You know the best place, or probably one of the better places he could have signed, would be easy. Whoa. So as an entity under Adidas? Yes. Okay. And the reason being is because when you look at, when you think about the basketball category of shoes, what's the last basketball shoe that you've seen really blow up outside of basketball that's, very few right that's a good question outside of basketball what's what's blowing up or blowing up 
And I mean, off the top of the head, obviously, you got to think of all the stuff that, you know, Jordan has done. But the other thing, I mean, honestly, there's been a little bit of a resurrection with Puma and the Clydes and the, that type of thing, else, you know, in and outside of the court. But I, I can't I can't come to mind right right off. Yeah, I was about to say there are plenty of shoes because you have, basketball shoes are a tech-driven category. Sure. You know, that's where between tech, I mean, between basketball and running, that's where shoot a lot of their new technologies because those those models have to be geared towards athletes and performance. Right. So you see a lot of tech there, but like nowadays, people aren't really buying tech. You know, they're looking at retro stuff. They're looking at, like, casual runners, things like that. So it's like basketball shoes have been on a downslide for the past several years. And when I think about him going to Jordan or even Nike, when I think about Jordan, you have to think about the last new Jordan, as we call them, like the Air Jordan 33 or 32, 31. Like, you don't see a lot of people wearing those outside of the court. Right. They're not like a lifestyle brand. It's not something, you know, when we think of like the old retros, like the threes and the fours and the elevens, like nobody's buying those to hoop in nowadays. They're buying those to wear, you know, as a lifestyle thing, as a style thing, as an everyday thing. Right. But like basketball shoes or in general, nobody's buying those now to wear off of the court. Right. Like, I go to basketball tournaments, like, uh, I'm involved with AAU pretty heavily. Mm-hmm. Matter of fact, I just came off a three-week run of basketball, seeing AAU <laughs> basketball. Oh, man. Three straight weeks. And, I'm, and and that's why people say, like, I always say there's the internet, and then there's reality. Right. And the reality is, what are kids wearing, and what are players wearing on the court? A lot of kids are wearing, like, Kyrie's and KD's and, and Paul George's. And you see some of those shoes on the court, but as soon as they come off the court, they're wearing bands and Crocs. <laughs> right, right. And, and when you kind of look at the crowds and when you go somewhere nowadays, you see people wearing, you know, they're wearing bands or they're wearing some Air Max or they're wearing Ultra Boost, something like that. But nobody's wearing basketball shoes. Okay. However, like if you take somebody like Zion, and we already know like Kanye's basketball shoe is a done deal. Like, it's already ready for whatever reasons it hasn't made past NBA regulations or whatever. It hasn't hit whatever, Yeah, whatever Adidas is saying, the reason is that it hasn't come out. Whatever. We know that that shoe exists. And you, regardless of, like, your personal feelings about Kanye, it's hard to deny the impact that the Yeezy as a brand and the models that he's put out. Like, people love those shoes. No, absolutely. And I think if if Zion put out a Yeezy shoe, like it would go crazy. <laughs> that I never thought of that. I mean, I th- never thought of that. Yeah, I'm like, if he puts out a Yeezy shoe, people will go crazy. But if he just puts out another Nike or another Jordan, like an Air Jordan 34, like nobody's really gonna care. That, I mean, I, and I think that's like, the idea. Is my only thing was. I'm okay with him signing with Brand Jordan. That was my my original thought. Was I, I I see it, but my thing was, are they going to modify the Jumpman, like and make it? Like, oh Lord, no! No, no, no! It was like, <laughs> no. Are they gonna make some type of Zion logo? Because my my concern would be, 
the jump man is so iconic that no matter how what he does and how great it would be if it's there it's still gonna be under jordan like it's still gonna be the jump man now i mean you can say the same thing like oh lebron and, and kobe still have the swoosh but it's like i'm just trying to figure out how he stands out it, even if he's you know is everything that people expect him to be in the actual league uh, how do you how do you overcome that shadow of Brand Jordan? Because well, think- here's, the, here's, here's the here's the here's the response to that when you think about it. Like Mike was like probably a one in a million shot of an athlete becoming that big and getting his own brand and company, you know, as it's set up. Like LeBron is always going to be Nike. Right. Like, I don't see them giving him his own brand. Kobe, you know, he's retired now. His thing is always going to be Kobe, and it's going to be put out by Nike. Right. The last time we've seen somebody come and get their own brand recently, you know, in this little space that we're looking at, mm-hmm. will be Kanye. You know, Mike was a once-in-a-lifetime athlete who came through and grabbed this crazy deal. Kanye's ultimately become this once-in-a-lifetime entertainer who's grabbed not the only one but one of the few who's been able to grab this crazy deal and create something right. around himself and i think with and you have to remember that kids like kids know jordan and they know the legacy and everything but they're not as mesmerized by it as some of us who kind of you know, I think everybody above thirty knows Mike and has certain <laughs> affinity for the it's brand. A, it's a, yeah, the it's shoes. a different, it's a different, it's a different thing. Yeah, but like young kids, they don't have that same affinity. Not at all, not a lick. But, but they know Kanye, sure, and they know Yeezys because all their friends go crazy over Yeezys. So imagine if Zion hopped in a pair of Yeezys on the basketball court, like it could be crazy. Uh, the voice you were listening to is John Gotti. Uh, he is a cultural what was the term what was the term gotta hit me up with it cultural expert cultural educator baby. educator cultural i educator. like it i like it that's my I've, i just learned that and that is my favorite cultural educator john Gotti. we are wrapping you know, because up because everybody hates a critic and it's like <laughs> a critic's job is to know the history know the present be able to kind of talk about where we're headed in the future and it's like I, I don't want to be a critic because that sounds so negative. So it's right. like, yo, just let me no. share the things that I know with you, these perspectives, this no. information. Let me educate. Let me share. No, this is perfect, and it is all love and it all positive. And let me and let me get you out on this because this is exactly what I'm hearing from you, and this is what I've heard universally. And what I've heard universally when we talk about uh, the news that Zion made was if all money is equal in the sense of like Forbes is uh, has has reported that it's a possibly a seven year seventy five million dollar deal. That's kind of the number that's been thrown out there. Originally, uh, some of the kind of old old head sneaker experts like Sonny Vicario and those guys was like, if they had Zion, they'd get a hundred million. I think what we've heard is that by him going to New Orleans, the way that the lottery worked, the ping pong balls falling in New Orleans probably cost him that 25 mil if he had landed in new york number one if he had landed in la he'd have probably got the 100 million dollar deal new orleans in the market probably uh move that to about 75 million and what i've heard is if all money's equal in regards to the money that you get then nike nike or jordan brain is probably going to win because of what you said about the global reach and the global marketing that 
Nike does in Asia and all over the world. Yeah. I mean, I think you also have to look at what they've done for other athletes in recent times because we've gotten away from, like, every... A lot of players grow up and they say, oh, I want my own shoe. Well, you know, a lot of companies have gotten away from that idea of creating signature models for everybody who comes along. I was looking at something the other day, and they were pointing out which athletes had the worst signature shoe of all time, and they showed a Bryant Reeves, a big country signature oh, shoe. And I'm like, from the Vancouver Grizzly days? Guy even at, I can't even remember who it was made by. It had the Vancouver Grizzly days. He had a shoe, and I'm like, we got, we've gotten away from the idea that everybody gets a signature shoe. Yep. And what we're looking at is like, especially with Nike, if you look at, say, Giannis, he didn't get a shoe until, what, the second, third, fourth year, whatever? Just, no, just recently. So it just released, what, it just released to the public within the last three months. The, the Yeah, three, I mean, within months. the last week or, I mean, the last month or so, he just now got his yep, shoe. That's his signature shoe. Kyrie's on what? Kyrie's on his fifth model, but before that, Kyrie, like, nobody starts off in the league with the shoe. So, like, Zion is going to give them time to develop Zion as a personality the same way they did with all these other guys. You know, KD. Uh, who else? Paul George. Man, sure. Paul George was forever getting a shoe. But it gives them time, to, and it also lets them see, hey, is this actually going to work out? You know, because... We don't know exactly what Zion is going to do in the league. Everybody has these high expectations, but nobody can truly predict whether he's going to be successful or not. So it gives Nike or Jordan brand time to see how the player develops, build up the stories around him, you know, monitor his play and say, yo, these are things that we can highlight, you know, make him a well-rounded personality that people want to buy into. Absolutely. Absolutely. Gotti, we're going to have to leave it there. This has been uh, dope. We've got to have you on again. We really, really appreciate your time. Thank you so much, brother. Hey, man, any time, man. Just give me a holler. I enjoy sharing this with Again, I'm a cultural educator, so anytime I that I can it. share, <laughs> anytime that I can share this information and share a little bit of information, I'm down to do it, brother. Excellent. You are listening to The Cheats Movement on WRIR. We will be back right after this. As always, we got to thank our good folks over at Working Friends for sponsoring our episode. You know, it's a, it, it's been a great ride. Make sure you check out Working Friends. It I is a great em. ride. Make sure you check out Working Friends, one of the best co-working spots in Richmond. GG Broadway, until next time. We, we see, see it. it.